We're just going to go with the Holy Spirit this morning, okay? I wasn't wasn't completely sure why he wanted me to share what I'm going to share, but listen to me this morning. There are some of you in this room that deep, deep, deep down inside, your belief system is the same belief system that the pagans had and the Old Testament Jews had. That God is an angry, mad God. And the reason whatever's going on in your life is because you've done something. Okay? I want you to listen this morning. Okay? What I'm going to share is not what Jesus taught. Okay? What I'm going to share is what Jesus taught, but what I just said about the other is not what Jesus taught. Jesus didn't show us an angry God. Okay? The God that, that he unveiled was not angry. He was not upset. He was not mad. He was a God of compassion, a God of love, and a God of grace. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning. We're in a, a series, and, and the series is called Reclaiming Biblical Healing. We believe that God has called us to be a house of healing. We believe that, that that's spiritual. But it's also physical, it's also emotional, it's also healing of the mind. Wherever healing needs to take place, we believe that God has called us to be a house. Not a building, but a body, okay, of healers. We are the conduits of God's power. And so we're, we're stepping into that. We don't understand everything. I don't have answers to all the questions. So, you know, if you'll hang on, maybe the Holy Spirit will answer them. And if he doesn't answer them, then maybe it's not that important a question. Does that make sense? I've found that some of my questions are not nearly as important as I thought they were. Because God showed me some other things that made a lot of difference. But this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at, at choosing a proper foundation for healing. We're going to look at, at the Old Testament a little bit. Because the Old Testament has a lot to say. But if we view it through the wrong lens, folks, we can get messed up. We really can. Now, we've got a verse that we're using. This probably won't be up on the screen. Acts 10.38, Peter says to the house of Cornelius, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's, that's the verse we're just, we're just putting into our spirit, okay, over the next few weeks. What I want to do this morning is, is build some foundations. One of the things that, that I've learned as I've studied the Scripture is God lays foundations for what He wants to build, okay? He starts off and He digs them deep because He wants to build the building high. He, he d- builds them wide because he wants there to be the support that's needed. None of the things, none of the doctrines that, uh, that we teach should have weak foundations if they are indeed doctrines of Scripture. Okay, if, if we have a weak foundation for anything, it's probably not a biblical doctrine. And so we want to talk about foundations this morning because foundations are really the essential key when you build a house, or you build a multi-story building, or whether you build a ministry, or you build a life. All of those things need a foundation. And the foundation of the New Testament is laid in the Old Testament. 
These are not two books that printers decided to put together, okay? These are two covenants that God wanted us to understand. He made the first covenant with the people of Israel. He made the new covenant with everybody. If we don't understand the old covenant, we can't understand the new covenant. I know people that, that, that they think the Old Testament is just yesterday's news, Last year's truth. It's not. It's really not. If we don't have the foundation that God lays in the Old Testament, we miss where we came from, what God expects, who God is. There's so many things. And so it's important to have a a firm foundation. And, And we're talking about healing, so it's important that we just don't pull things out of the sky and, con- and, you know, and build a doctrine. It's important to have some Old Testament foundation. And I think they're there. I think they're clear. The reality is, though, is that we don't live under the Old Covenant. Okay? I want you to understand that. There are principles that we still go by. There are things that are important there. But we are not bound by that Old Covenant. Jesus came, fulfilled the Old Covenant completely, set it aside and gave a new covenant. Now the principles that are found in the old covenant, they transfer right into the new covenant. But they transfer through a special lens. It's not a secret lens. Let me give you an illustration. I wear glasses. Okay? I used to wear them because I couldn't see right here. When I turned 40, all of a sudden, I began to get sleepy when I read, and I, I've read all my life. I mean, I just love to read, and, and I thought something was wrong. And I, one day, I closed one of my eyes, and I could see great, and I closed the other one, and uh, I couldn't see anything. I, I panicked, okay? And so I went to the doctor, and, and the, 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 I don't know, it's optometrist, I guess, or whatever. And I said, Doc, I, I can close one of these eyes, and I can't see. He said, well, don't panic. He said, I got good news and bad news. He says, the good news is we can fix it. The bad news is you're getting older. And so he fitted me with some, some glasses. But over time, I not only can see, not see right here, when I take them off, y'all all look alike. There's a blur. You know what I'm saying? Details. I can't peek up. I don't have the I used to could read signs. Miles, I had eyes that looked like a hawk. I could, but as I get older, they, they're dim. And I can see the colors. I know who you are, but I can't see the details. Your face is sort of a blur. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's the thing. The people of the Old Testament looked forward to Jesus. They had no lens to look through except for what God was revealing. So it was a blur, in a sense, of what was going to happen. Now, as New Testament believers, we look back through the lens of Jesus at the Old Testament, and the things that are taught in the Old Testament become a lot clearer to us because we understand what Jesus did. Does that make sense? Okay. Without Jesus, we can't make a great deal of sense of God in the Old Testament. God seems, at times, a little harsh. Amen? Let's just be honest here. 
He seems a little harsh. He seems a little angry. He seems to just do things because he can. I know that bothers some of you, but that's the way we feel sometimes when we, when we read some of those things. That's because when we look back at Jesus without the lens, uh, I mean, when we look back at the Old Testament at God without the lens of Jesus, we don't understand what was going on, right? When we put on our glasses and we, and we look through the lens of Jesus back to the Old Testament, we realize God's not really as harsh as he seems. He's not angry. He's not doing just what he wanted to do. You see, the Old Testament, and and this is a key word you need to get today, is a progressive revelation of who God is. Okay, when when Adam, when God created Adam and Eve, they didn't get all knowledge of everything. They got what they needed as needed. And Day by day, God progressively revealed himself to them and different things about himself. And guess what? The New Testament, I mean, the Old Testament is a progressive revelation of who God is. God shows up and he reveals something new about himself, and they have it. They don't have everything about God. They know God is holy. They know God is, is, is just. They know God is righteous. Why? Because he reveals himself in different ways and shows them that. They know God hates sin because he reveals that. So his revelation is progressive. Over time, he reveals his character and he reveals his attributes and he reveals his holiness. And all of this culminates when the invisible God becomes visible in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You see, the people of the Old Testament knew that God was going to send a Messiah. But now they didn't believe he would be a God-man, okay? They didn't believe it was going to be God. They thought it was going to be a man. They didn't get it. They missed it in the revelation that he had given them. But yet when, when Jesus is revealed, when he's manifested... He shows us what the invisible God looks like. John says he came to show us who God was, to exegete, to open up the mystery and let people see God in flesh. Now here's the thing, if you know what God, or if you know who God is, and you know what he looks like, and you know what's important to him, then you know what, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is God, amen? I mean, that is, that is bottom line, basic theology. If you do not believe that Jesus is the God-man, you know what? You won't be saved. That's kind of harsh, Nelson. That's just reality. That's, that's the basic nugget of theology there. And so Jesus comes and he shows us who the invisible God is and Jesus then is perfect theology the theology we see in Jesus is the theology we need to follow okay sometimes we forget what God was doing in the Old Testament in the Old Testament God was calling a people a holy people out from a world that was filled with Every 
imaginable kind of garbage that can, there could be. And I, I've got an illustration. I know this is gross. I know this is going to bother some of you. But hey, this, I'm kind of earthy and this is where I live. All right? Imagine you took the lid off your septic tank. Okay? And you reached down and you took a gob of it. That's what God was doing. Okay? That's what God was doing. Now, the gob in God's hand, this is terrible English, ain't no different than the gob that's there. Except that over time, He's going to change them into something that's foul and disgusting and dirty into something that's holy and righteous and just. Okay? That's what God was doing in the Old Testament. Okay? That's, that's, that's the picture. I hope I've painted that in your head. You cannot get it out. That's the picture, folks. Because we forget about that. God reached into a people and pulled a people out, uh, out of a people that were filled with idolatry. Folks, they worshipped everything that moved and didn't move. And they made up things to worship. Their worship was filled with all kind of perversion, all kind of immorality. They sacrificed children and human beings to their gods. Everything that you can think of that was detestable, just like that septic tank. That was the world that God reached in to bring a people out of. And sometimes we forget that. We think the people that God were dealing, that he was dealing with had it all together. They knew everything. They didn't know anything. You say, well, they were the children of, of Jacob. They've been in bondage for 430 years, slaves, in, a, in, in probably the most pantheistic culture of the world at that day. The, the Egyptians worshipped everything. And this is the culture that, that Jacob's children had been immersed in. And you know what happens when you're around that? It becomes your culture. It becomes what you believe. You just think of the Exodus. Think of the things that happened. What happens when Moses is gone a day or two too long? What do they do? They make a bull to worship. This is our God. Where did they get that? They brought that with them right out of Egypt. See, you can come out of Egypt, but all of Egypt may not come out of you. It takes some time. And so God spends several thousand years trying to get Egypt out of his people. And you know what? He never completely succeeds. They worship him a while. They slide back into it. They worship him a while. They slide back into it. They worship him a while. They slide back into it. Manasseh becomes king, and they worship everything that they had worshipped in Egypt. That's the kind of people God's dealing with. In the ancient world, they worshipped 
all kinds of gods. They, every nation had their own gods. Every town had their own gods. And a lot of times, the people that lived in the towns had their own gods. Or they worshipped their ancestors. They, they, the world that they lived in was filled with deities and demons and, and wicked spirits who caused calamity and were the source of ill fortune, sickness, disease, and death. They had a whole mythology of beliefs about that stuff. And it's into that atmosphere that God calls out His people. He calls out a nation to worship Him alone. That was totally unheard of. There were no monotheistic cultures. Cultures that worshipped one God. And so God reaches in and He calls the people to worship Him. He calls the people to serve Him because He is sovereign. He's the only God. There's no other God. All the rest of the gods are not gods. They are either the creations of of someone's mind or they are the careful manipulation of demons and wicked spirits, the devil. And God's desire is is that they worship Him alone and they, they learn that He alone is in control. Now, we can't, well, we can because we act like the pagans most of the time. They couldn't comprehend that. He didn't give them all of that at one time. He progressively revealed himself to them. And, and, and what happened is, the church often fails to interpret the Old Testament through those lens. We look back and, and we don't understand what God's doing there. Jesus has yet to come, and God's putting down some pretty stiff, tough laws, right? Let's just be honest. The Mosaic law is pretty dadgum tough. But here's what he's doing. He's teaching these pagan idolaters that he alone is God, that sin has a cost, and the only way to, to, to atone for sin is to shed blood. He wants them to understand that it's a big deal. To live holy. And it's not easy. Now. God never for once thought they were all going to get it right. Y'all do understand that don't you? He never for once. That was not his final plan. He's teaching. Paul says that the law was a teacher. To teach us what? What sin is. Apart from the law we don't know. And so he's teaching them what sin is. And he's, he's trying to get them to the place where they understand, God, there's no way I can do this. You're going to have to do it for me. And then what happens? He sends Jesus. Now, we don't interpret it that way very often. Instead, we take our Jesus glasses off and we look back at thou shalt not do and thou shalt do and you can do this and you can't do this and if you do this, this is what will happen. And we build this whole theology that becomes a part of our Christianity. Y'all see where I'm going? Folks, that's the church today. We have a whole theology that's built off Old Testament that never looks through the eyes of Jesus to see how Jesus interpreted. And when we do that, we get a God that's really harsh that's really angry, and who seems to be out to get us, who we can never please. Okay? That's not what the Old Testament teaches. Do you know what? God was Father in the Old Testament. 
just like he is in the New Testament. God is a God of grace and compassion in the Old Testament, just like he is in the New Testament. He's a God of love. Okay? You say, Nelson, why have you done all of that? Because I want you to understand when it comes to biblical healing, there seem to be two different strands in the Old Testament. Two different streams that you can flow out of. Really, there's only one. Now, it seems pretty clear when you look at those two streams that uh, Jesus didn't take one of them and he took the other one. Okay, so I'm going to share both of them and show you which one Jesus took. Throughout most of the Old Testament, the major strand about healing uh, and that thought portrays God as a sovereign God who brings life. And with life, happiness, good crops, health, and reward. Okay? That's, that's the God of life. But he's also the God of punishment. Slavery, disaster, disease, and death. In other words, for those who don't obey him, he punishes them. Okay? He's dealing with slaves. Okay? They understand reward. They understand punishment. He's trying to help them understand, I love you. But if you continue to live this way, you're going to destroy yourself. If you'll do this and this and this, life will change. You'll understand me, but he's revealing himself. And what happens is, well, let me give you a verse. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 39. This sort of sums up this view, this view of God, this stream. See now, God says, I am he. There's no other God besides me. It is I who put to death and I who give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver you from my hand. Or can deliver from my hand. Now, when we read that without the, the lens of Jesus, it appears God is responsible for everything. Amen? That wasn't really strong. When you read this, it appears God is responsible for everything, okay? Do you realize God doesn't send everything? He is sovereign, okay? And I, I want you to understand, He is sovereign. He knows what will happen. But He doesn't cause everything, okay? He doesn't cause everything. And we're going to talk about that more down the road, but just remember that. In the Old Testament, there's not a lot of revelation about heaven and hell. I mean, you just don't find much about life after death in the Old Testament. There's a, there's a verse here and a verse. Job says something. David says something. But there's not much there. All they knew was Sheol, the pit, the grave. That's all God had revealed up until that point. And Sheol was a place, the pit was a place where both the good and the wicked reside into the resurrection. And so what takes place in, in the Old Testament culture is a belief arose that you're rewarded for the good or you're punished for the bad in this life. Because they didn't know anything about the afterlife. They didn't, they didn't really realize anything about the afterlife. It hadn't been revealed to them. 
It was God was seen as the giver of all good things, as well as the dispenser of misfortune, and he was the, 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 the cause of pain, which included sickness and disease. In other words, you reaped what you sowed. Okay, and that's a that is that's the law of rep- I'll not be able to say it. Reciprocity. That's not it, but you know what I'm yeah. Somebody say it for me. Reciprocity. You reap what you sow. Do y'all realize that in Christ, none of us have reaped what we sowed? Or we wouldn't be here. Okay? But there is a law of, of, of you get what you do. In other words, what you do, they begin to believe, doesn't take place. The reward's not later, it's now. You have health. You have wealth. If you're wealthy, you must be living a good life. If you're healthy, you must be living a good life. But you also get the bad. If you're sick, or you have a disease, or you're crippled, there must be sin in your life. Have y'all ever heard that teaching? It's rampant in the church. Okay? Now, God's law was very clear because God is calling out a people who are slaves and pagans into a people who are holy. God's law is very clear what they could expect if they obeyed the covenant. He made a covenant with them. And a covenant requires someone to keep the covenant. Okay, God says, if you do this, I will do that. And so they knew that if we do this, God will bless us. If we don't do this, there will be problems. So people began to believe that health and wealth were the rewards of God, and sickness, poverty, and misfortune were divine punishments. And folks, they're not. People get sick. People have accidents, misfortunes, things take place. Sometimes it's because of a dumb decision on our part. And sometimes it's because of a dumb decision on somebody else's part that we don't know. Or who lived 500 years ago. Now, yes, God judged the Egyptians. And he sent plagues and he sent sickness. He judged the, Phil- the Philistines with tumors because they took the ark of God and they put it in their pagan temple. Miriam was struck with leprosy. Why? Because she, she, she went against her brother Moses. Y'all remember Gehazi? The servant of, of uh, Elisha? Elisha healed Naaman the leper, who was a, a military officer in a pagan uh, country. And he wanted to pay Elisha for the services rendered. And Elisha says, no charge. It was God. Gehazi got all caught up in that and followed him on down the road and took a little payment. And you know what God did? All of a sudden, he struck with leprosy. Lame, deformed, diseased people born in the family of Levi. They couldn't serve in the priesthood. And, and what took place is sickness represented a breach between God and the individual or the nation. More, more so the nation than the individual. So the emphasis on blessings and health is particularly in the Old Testament. It's nationalistic. It was the nation of Israel more so than the individual. And, and that's, that's the view. If the nation was suffering, there must be sin. 
If the nation is not living in prosperity, there must be sin. Now, little is mentioned about the individual person. Sin is viewed as the root cause of sickness, disease, and death. Why? Because we have to understand the context of what God was doing in His calling forth of a nation. They were coming out, as I said, out of a pagan culture that was filled with pagan beliefs. And He wants this people that He's calling to Himself to trust Him alone. He's wanting them to look to Him alone to provide for them. He's wanting them to worship Him alone. There's very little mention in the Old Testament of demons. And very few mentions of angels. The angels just do God's bidding. That's, that's pretty much all we know. We know a little bit about uh, the Satan. Because he appears every once in a while. But he's not throughout all the books. Okay, There's not a lot of revelation about that. All the other nations and all the other religions had all these intricate stories. Of demons and angels and how they cause sickness and bring healing. Uh, the gods that they worshipped were always angry. Okay, they were capricious. They're, they changed their minds on a whim. You see, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The gods they worshipped want this today, but tomorrow they want this. And folks, there are literally millions of people that live in this same world today. And so they, 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 they worshipped gods that were angry, and so they were always sacrificing to find relief from their, the gods' angers. People thought that sickness was caused by sin. That's what they came to believe. And without forgiveness or repentance, there couldn't be any healing. In fact, the rabbis taught that healing couldn't come. Until sin was confessed. That's why you don't see any mention of doctors in the Old Testament. Because they didn't have doctors. They had priests. Because it was their belief and their mindset that unless you repented, you couldn't be healed. Otherwise, you were using witchcraft. Or incantations. Or things that were forbidden. Now... In the world that they lived in, most of the healing was done by priests or by shamans, witch doctors. Medicine was, was primitive, and it was usually filled with divination or sorcery or concoctions and incantations or potions or spells. Okay? That, that was, it was not, there wasn't, any hospitals, for the most part, in the Old Testament? Well, there wasn't any. I'll just go ahead and say it. I don't, I don't think there were any hospitals. You find hospitals starting to crop up after Alexander the Great. And, and, they're, and they're temples to a specific God. And so, doctors were viewed by the Hebrews as workers of magic and witchcraft. Because they short-circuited the process. See, a doctor would heal you without you having to repent. And that short-circuited the process. And they didn't like that. It's interesting that uh, 
the Talmud, which is a, the commentary, the Jewish commentary on the law. There's this statement in the Talmud about Jesus. Jesus was hanged on a tree on the Passover Eve because he practiced sorcery. That's what the Jews believe. Now, why did they think he practiced sorcery? Because he healed people without them having to go to a priest. Does that, do, are y'all beginning to... That's, and so you, when the Pharisees come and say, yeah, well, you healed by the power of Satan. That's what they're saying. That, that belief that they have is coming out. Is that making sense? Okay. Now, it's easy to see then, based on that statement, where Judaism had slipped to in some of their beliefs. They'd taken certain things that God had revealed and they had interpreted them wrongly. Now, I know that doesn't happen today in churches. Okay, so let's don't throw any rocks at them because this happens all the time. It's not that God's doing this. It's they interpreted God as doing that. And their belief system was fixed. And so what happens is there's a strand of belief about healing. Healing cannot come because all sickness is a result of sin. You have sinned if you're sick. Okay, I'm just putting it in plain terms. There's sin in your life. And until you confess it, God's not going to heal you. That's the strand. Now, there's another strand, though, that's, that's recorded. And it's saved for us. I will say this. The Holy Spirit made sure both strands are there are what seem to be two strands. I want you all to understand. There's only one strand there that the Holy Spirit put there. But it was interpreted differently. Does that make sense? Okay. The second strand of the Old Testament is, is this, stand, this strand reveals God as, as healer. Now I'm going to read uh, a passage out of Exodus 15. And God said, if you give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what's right in His sight, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians. Now, if you just listen to it with the ears of that first strand, God's responsible for everything. Okay, But then He says something. He says, for I, the Lord, am your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha. God said, let me, let me progressively reveal a little bit more about me. You know me as Yahweh. I am that I am. That's who I revealed myself to Moses as. And that's who he, he shared with you. Well, I want to reveal, now that we're out of Egypt, I want to reveal a bit more about you, about me. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who is your healer. I am literally the God who heals. That's what he's saying. I am healing. What God is doing is he's revealing who he is. He's revealing his character. He's revealing about himself. This is not just a name that we have fixed to God. This is who God is. God is loving. God is, is, is righteous. God is holy. We don't argue with that, right? God's saying, I'm healer. Now, I'm fixing to throw one right out in your laps, and I'm not going to answer this for another few weeks, but I want you to think about it a little while. 
if God is healer, then sickness cannot be the will of God. You wrestle with that, you chew on that for a while, okay? If his nature is healing, then sickness is not the will of God. It did not come from God. You say before that, well, da-da-da-da, no, listen to me. God's will is that none shall be lost, that all shall be saved. Is everybody saved? God's will is that we flee immorality. Does everybody flee immorality? Just because something is God's will does not mean we're excused from the choices that we make and the things that we do. Now, that's not to say if you're sick, it's a choice. I don't mean that. But I will say this, the church has not done what the church should have done. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to move on, okay? I probably ruined the whole sermon, and you won't hear anything else after that, but I want you to understand, okay? If, if God, if, if that's His character, and that's His nature, and that's who He is, then folks, does it not seem rational that it's His will to heal? Nobody's, only Jim's going to nod his head. Okay, that's okay, Jim. Now, as you read through the Old Testament, I'm not trying to trick you with words, not trying to back you into a corner. I want you to consider your theology, okay? As you read the Old Testament, there are several instances where, where God supports this, this strand of belief. He just simply heals. He heals individuals. He takes away barrenness. He took away the 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 the. the, the what caused some ladies not to be able to have children? If, you, if you, you were viewed in that culture, if you were unable to have a child, then there must be something wrong with you, and it must be sin, okay? You've done something. Well, God sort of stomped that belief down. He, he healed Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah, Samson's mother, the Shunammite woman, and there's probably some more. Every one of them produced children. Elijah and Elisha both healed children. Naaman. Naaman is a Syrian army officer, a pagan. He comes to Israel and Elisha heals him. And Elisha never asks him to confess his sin, repent of his sin, give glory to God. He just says, hey, tell Naaman to go down to the Jordan River. And dip itself seven times. Moses. God tells Moses to make a, 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 a bronze serpent and affix it to a stick. And raise it up. And everyone who is bitten by a fiery serpent can be healed. Hezekiah is sick. And he's praying his guts out. And he calls Elijah because he knows he's going to die. And God heals him. Folks, I could give you lots more examples if I had time. We go to, to Psalms, and healing is found in the Psalms. It's found in the prophets. David records these words, and these are some of, the, of, of my favorite scriptures. But in Psalms 103, verse 1 and 5, David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities. In other words, who heals all your sins. 
Then he says, who heals all your diseases? How many? All. Whose? Ours. And redeems your life from the pit. In other words, you're not going to lay in the grave forever. I'm going to raise you up. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. And who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Ezekiel, in, in, in chapter 37, when he sees the valley of bones, he sees God healing. He sees him bringing that nation back together and touching individuals. The, Messiah, the prophets even foretold of a Messiah. And we're going to look in a few weeks at this specifically. But we, the, the prophets talked about a Messiah whose ministry would be marked by healing. And he would heal the sicknesses and the diseases of his people. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5. And, and you're going to see it on the screen. And there are going to be some differences in words. Okay? From what I read. Surely our sicknesses he himself bore. That ain't it. <laughs> 53. I'm going to type 23. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it says, Surely our sicknesses he himself bore. Y'all can kill that one. It don't make How many of you got Bibles? You need to turn to this passage, okay? It's all right. I made that mistake because it's wrong in my notes. All right, here we are. I'm sorry. We need four and five. So, surely our sicknesses. New American Standard says, surely our griefs. Almost every other place in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word is translated sickness. But for some reason, the translators here decided to put griefs. It's a translation. It's not, it's not that they mistranslation or mistranslated, that they just they did that. Surely our sicknesses he himself bore, and our pains he carried, our sorrows, same thing. But he was pierced, he, yet he, we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And we're going to find out in a few weeks what that means. He was crucified, folks. Nailed to a cross for our sin. That's what that is saying. And then it says this, and by his stripes, by his scourgings, we are healed. He was also beaten, I believe, for a physical healing. His blood was shed. His body was broken. When we celebrate communion. Folks we're not just celebrating a spiritual healing. We're celebrating the means. That God gave. For emotional, physical. And spiritual healing. Body, soul and spirit. Now Isaiah also describes the Messiah's ministry. He says in, in Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6, he says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the deserts. And then there's one other passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 61, verse 1, and I'm just going to read a part of verse 2. Jesus quotes this passage specifically when he declares his purpose in the synagogue there in Nazareth. He quotes this passage. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, you add to this the book of Job. Okay? If you want to find out what the Old Testament people believed about sickness... Skip chapter 1 and chapter 2. Read the rest of the book. They believed that if a man is sick or a man's destruction has come on his family, storms blew away his kids, and, and raiders took away his, his riches, then there must be sin in his life. The only problem is that the book of Job does not teach that. And you know what? The Jews struggled with the book of Job. Okay, I'm just telling you that. Their, their, their rabbis struggled with that book because it didn't fit into the theology of God that they had drawn out of Scripture. Folks, it's very clear from the first two chapters of Job that Job is a righteous man. Okay? There is not a place in Job where God condemns Job for sin in his life. It's not there. Okay? It's also clear that Satan is the one who brings the death. And he brings the disease. He creates the storms. He's, he incites the raiders who come and take the, 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 the camels and the donkeys away. All of Job's friends, guess which strand of belief they had? The one I described a while ago. There's got to be sin in your life over and over and over. Just come clean, Job. For God's sake, come clean and all this land. And Job holds on to the truth. They believe, Job, disease has come to you. Disaster has struck you. You must have committed sin. Yet nowhere in the book do we find God rebuke Job for sin. All the calamities that fall on him, all the things that happen to him are the result of an attack by Satan. Oh yeah, but God allowed it. You know what? God did allow it. But God did not cause it. Okay? Big difference. Monstrous difference. Now, in fact, God heals Job. At the end of the book, God heals him. He reaches out and he touches him. And undoubtedly, there were some things beginning to happen to his friends because God told them to ask Job to pray for him. Okay? And they'll be healed. They'll be made whole. Now, that's the, the second strand. Now, I want to ask you a question. Which strand... Do you think the majority of the church has bought into? Okay. They've mixed the Old Testament strand that most of the, the Jews bought into, along with a pagan belief, which is Greek, that the body is not really worth anything. That's what the pagans believed, that the body is not worth anything. You can do whatever you want with this. It's just a tool we use, and we're going to lay it down, and that's the end of it. 
Okay, that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture says God is going to raise that body up. And he's going to transform it. You see, salvation is not just spirit. Not just soul. It's body. And one of these days, that body will be totally and completely made clean and holy. There'll be no sickness or sin or disease, not even in the cellular regions. God's going to do that. It's going to happen in the resurrection. But what happened is they bought into that belief so that, you know what, the body is not that important. And guess what? The church has bought that belief. That's why we don't, we don't spend a lot of time talking about healing. Why? Well, in the resurrection, God's going to heal it up. He's going to give you a new body. You won't need this old body. Folks, when the disciples saw Jesus and he revealed himself to them, did he have two arms, two legs, and a head? He didn't have five or six arms and four or five legs and three or four heads, did he? he, had to, he they saw him because they recognized him because he had a body, which was like the body they had, except it was not the body they had. It was a, a body that had been energized by the Holy It was a resurrection body. And so what's happened is the church has bought into that. And they've bought into the beliefs that, hey, if you're sick, there must be sin in your life. I've heard that before, okay? If you're under the judgment of God, there must be sin in your life. Let me, let me throw another one out here, and you can chew on this and think about this. But folks, God poured out the wrath, all of his wrath on Jesus. God's not angry right now. Okay? God's not mad. He's not mad at you. God's not punishing us. Now, God will discipline his children. You know why he disciplines? Not to get even. Not to get even, but to teach us so that we won't hurt each other or hurt ourselves. You don't want to let your child put his or her little hands on the stove without smacking it, do you? Look, if, hey, don't do that, doesn't work, what do you do? Well, just stick it up there and burn the fool out of yourself. <laughs> Folks, that's punishment. No, we, we rush over there, grab that baby, pull its arms off, spat, 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 no, 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 we... That's discipline. We discipline because we love. God disciplines because He loves. But He's not punishing, okay? He's not pouring out wrath because He's already poured the wrath out on Jesus. The church has been teaching if you're sick, there has to be some kind of unconfessed sin in your life. You're suffering with sickness and disease because suffering purifies. Here's the one I really like. God sent this, I believe. So I'd be a better Christian. Now, that sounds really good, okay? And I'm not, if you've said that, I'm not throwing rocks at you. But just think about that. If, if God could have sent sickness to make us better Christians, He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on a cross. Okay? Only Jesus can make you a better Christian. You can only make someone what you are. And that's what Jesus did. He made us little Christ like Him. So God doesn't send sickness to make us better. Can we learn things if we're suffering? Sure we can. 
But you know what? You can learn things without suffering. Okay, my daddy used to say experience is the best teacher. But you know what? You don't have to experience everything to learn something. There are some things you ought to pay attention to what's happening to Bill and say, you know what? Chalk that one up right there. I'm not doing that. My brother and I, we learned some things as kids by seeing what happened to the other one when they did certain things. Neither one of us are stupid. We didn't do it again just to see what happened to us. Folks, we've also been taught, and, and I want you to listen to me really quick because it is, impo- it is the most important thing. We've been taught that spiritual healing is the most important thing, and it is, okay? And I don't want you to neglect that. The greatest miracle that God does is saving a person, okay? But we've majored on that, and we've missed so many opportunities to heal with physical and emotional needs that would have brought them to salvation as well. Does that make sense? The vast majority of the church from about 500 A.D. on until this moment, have set their sail and their boat in the stream that the Old Testament Jews were in, for the most part. Believe the same. God's mad. He's angry. If I had a dollar for every angry, mad God sermon I've heard, turn or burn, preach to church folks, wasn't any lost people there for the most part. Same people showed up every Sunday for the last 40 years. Turn or burn, turn or burn. We've turned. Okay, and I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? There's a place for that, okay? And I, I'm not saying there's not. But for those of us who know Christ, we've turned. We're not burning, okay? But we've gotten that wrathful, angry God sermon over and over and over when God is no longer wrathful. He's no longer angry. He satisfied that in Jesus. Now, what's happened is the majority of the body of Christ, instead of using the lens of Jesus, have looked back into the Old Testament and built their own theology. It sounds good. Came right out of the Bible. It quotes well. Okay, it really does quote well in certain circumstances. It sounds righteous and it sounds holy. But they've misinterpreted the words. You see, you can't interpret the Old Testament except through Jesus. So when Jesus bursts on the scene, which strand or stream do you think that he took? Now the Bible says that he did not break one law of Moses. He fulfilled the law. So he kept the requirements that God required. But he didn't come out of those requirements with the same ideas that the rabbis were teaching, that the priests were holding all the people to, that the Pharisees were proclaiming. He he came out with a totally different view. I'm going to share a little bit and then we're done. And we'll talk about it some more over the next few weeks. Jesus chose the second stream because he came to reveal who? And to show us 
who God was. So if, if Jesus is showing us who God is and what he wants, then all that other stuff is a misinterpretation. We're looking wrongly. We're seeing blurs instead of details. I'm not saying they did it purposely. I'm saying that it was blurred. They couldn't pick up all the details. Man, I put these glasses on. I can see everything up here. Okay? When we put on Jesus, it becomes more focused. It becomes clearer. He came preaching the kingdom of God. He came preaching the king's domain. God is here. That's what the kingdom is. God is here, present with you right now. You know what it looks like in the king's domain? Let me show you. And then he begins to walk, and he begins to preach, and he begins to teach. And folks, he begins to demonstrate through the power of God through physical and emotional needs. He, he, he fulfills those. He meets those. He demonstrates what? He demonstrates concern. He demonstrates compassion. He demonstrates empathy. All these were characteristics of God. But these were not the characteristics that the religion of that day was teaching or preaching. And folks, it's not very much better today. We're still preaching an angry, vengeful God. Turn or burn. Jesus never preached that message to people who were lost. You know when he preached that message? When he preached to religious leaders, to the church of his day in a sense. The Pharisees, the priests, the scribes, the lawyers, those who knew the scriptures. That's when he said, you know what, you're a brood of snakes. Y'all are graves that are just whitewashed, but inside you're dead. You're septic tanks. See the picture? He never preached that to, to Susie, who's involved with somebody else's husband. He never preached that to, to Joe, who's skimming off the top of the business. He, he didn't preach that to them. Instead, he demonstrated the love of God in their life. Folks, for hundreds of years, we've been portraying a God who's angry and a God who wants to get even. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the, on the scene and he displays a God who's loving and a God who's healing. And a God who would pay the price for whatever a person's sin was, no matter how great it was, by dying for them, by taking their place. And what Jesus does is Jesus fulfills the old covenant. It was required holiness and righteousness and justice. He fulfills it. When a covenant is fulfilled, it's completed. And he institutes a new covenant. And he begins to show us what that new covenant's going to look like because that's who God is. And so Jesus begins to teach on things that, that they didn't know a lot about. He begins to teach on heaven and hell. Jesus preached hell. He taught it. He revealed it. Up to this point, they didn't know a lot about it. They had this story and that story, but it wasn't a lot. But he begins to teach on that. And, and the progressive revelation of God continues. And he begins, begins to unveil the fact that sickness comes from Satan. It's demonic. Because what does he do? In one instance, he heals someone, and he calls her a daughter of Abraham, and she's been bent over for 18 years. And he says, he looses her. 
and lets her go. He doesn't touch her and say, be healed. It was a spirit of infirmity that was on her, and he, he sends it off. And so he begins to deal with that. He begins to deal with the power of God, the progressive revelation of God. Jesus deals with the health of those who are sick in body and mind. Those who are afflicted by the demonic powers. A lot of the people he heals who had sicknesses, it was caused by demons. That's what Jesus said. That's what he, that's, it's illustrated. Folks, nearly one-fifth of the verses in the Gospels deal with healing. Okay? Physical and emotional healing. You like numbers? There are 3,779 verses. 727 of those deal directly with healing or with emotional issues or resurrection from the dead. Jesus healed death. Add to that about 165 more that deal directly with eternal life and 31 general references that talk about uh, things, signs and wonders that included healing. And all of a sudden, there's almost 25% of the gospel spent on taking care of the physical and emotional needs of people. And what's even more startling, when you, when you study the New Testament closely and you look at those instances where he meets people who are obviously immersed in sin, there's very little time spent on the moral issues. The woman who's drugged to him, caught in the very act of adultery. What does he do? He heals her emotionally. And then he says, oh, by the way, don't sin anymore. Make a big issue out of it. Is sin a big issue? Yes, it is. But you know what? When he, when he spared her and he did not judge her, he healed something in her that was far more important. He goes to Zacchaeus' house. He never says anything about Zacchaeus being a tax collector. And tax collectors were thieves. Okay, that's just the bottom line. I don't know any other way to say it. You know, the Jews spit when they said tax collector. Okay, they hated them. Jesus never says anything. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today and eat. That's why the Jews would complain and the Pharisees would gripe. He eats with with thieves and prostitutes. Y'all see what I'm trying to show y'all? He was not worried about their sins. You know why? He's fixing to pay for them. He's fixing to set them free from this stuff. He's worried about the situation they're living in that's caused by their own religious beliefs. They're pressed down, they're oppressed by the devil, and they're oppressed by their own faith that's supposed to set them free. And he steps into the middle of it, and he doesn't worry about repentance or sin or or what happens. He begins to set people free, slings the chains off of them, left and right. Folks, he spends three and a half years and, and, and John says, if everything Jesus did or said were written down, the books of the world could not contain them. So I don't know how much more, but, but he didn't just heal individuals, he healed whole towns. There are times when all who came to him were healed, so there are countless other situations where healing came. 
Now, if Jesus spent 20% of his time doing that, don't you think we should spend a little time at least trying to figure out why? If he did it, guess what? We're supposed to be doing it. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, but, but, but can be what you say to God when you get there. I'm not going to say it, okay? I'm going to try to figure out what happened between Jesus and now that has caused us to believe that sickness comes from God that will make us better Christians or that it's because of sin instead of God's will is for us to be healthy. God's will is for us to be holy. God's will is for us to walk with Him. Okay? God's will is us for us to be forgiven of our sins. See, God's will is a lot more than we think it is. You remember the foundations I was talking about at the beginning? We can only build as high as we dig deep. You, you, you pour a little thin foundation and you try to build a big building on it and it'll crack and it'll break and it'll fall down. And folks, if we're not willing to dig into what Scripture says and we're not willing to look at history, you see, most of us don't realize there is a history of the church. We think the history of the church ended somehow in Revelation and picked up when we were born. Folks, there's 2,000 years of, of people just like us struggling with this. And for some, it was easier not to struggle with it, and so they set it aside. For others, it was easier to control it and to, and to limit it to just a handful of people and to use it as a tool to manipulate and control the masses. But we're ignorant of that because we, we just don't know it. Well, folks, we, there's not going to be an excuse in a few weeks. We're going to know some of that stuff. Because we're going to dig a foundation. To reclaim biblical healing, folks, we've got to explore what we believe. We've got to question it. It's okay to question what you've been taught. It doesn't mean you roll the window down, dump it out, and then fill your head with new stuff. You just take it. Okay, God, is this, is this true? Is everything about this true? Because if it's not all true, then there's lie here, and I'm believing lie. Show me what's the lie. Show me what's the truth. Put it in the sack. I do that all the time. As I've begun this study, I've begun to realize why Jesus ran into so much opposition. He was short-circuiting their process. They didn't have to buy sacrifices at the company store and spend their money at the company store so that they could get in the temple. Jesus was just healing them left and right, and they were, they were having hallelujah, holy come aparts. They wasn't having to come and confess their sin to some guy that had the same sin they had. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Okay, I'm going to go on. I'm getting off this. Folks, we can only build as, as high as, as deep we'll dig, okay? And sadly... Most Christians and most churches have calcified belief systems. They build a wall around that belief system, and you better not question it. That's how people end up in Guyana and drink Kool-Aid. Okay? I'm just telling you that. Some of y'all think, what are you talking about? Most of you 
probably don't remember Jim Jones. He, he let a whole bunch of people off because they believed everything he said. They didn't check anything. Folks, it's not any different. We're just in America drinking Kool-Aid. It's time to throw the Kool-Aid away and see what God says and find out what God wants to do and do it. Folks, we've misrepresented God. We've misrepresented His goodness. We've misrepresented His holiness and His heart. We've misrepresented what He thinks. And we're just generally ignorant of the revelation, the progressive revelation. that he's... See, God is unfolding who He is all through the Old Testament so that you get a fuller, fuller picture. Folks, God hasn't changed. He was the same today as he was on the day he created Adam. He's not going to change. He's the same in the Old Testament. He's the same in the New Testament. He's the same today. To become like Jesus means that we have to become like Jesus. Okay? It means we have to do what Jesus did. It means we have to believe what Jesus believed. It means we have to act the way he acted. And yes, folks, it is ethical and it is moral. But can I just tell you something? One of the things I'm learning, when you minister to somebody and they have a need, they don't see that you're holy or better. They see that you love them. And what happens is they want to learn to love like you love. And as they learn to love God like you love God, God deals with the ethical and the moral issues. See, folks, what we've tried to do is is we've tried to build churches and, and denominations and groups on do's and don'ts of morality rather than living moral lives and showing people what that looks like. We've tried to tell the world what to do, but it We want them to do what we say, but ignore what we do. Instead of showing them a moral lifestyle, we've ranted and raved and we made it election issues. And the world gets worse and worse and worse. You cannot change the world by, by legislation. Jesus says, they will know you are mine by your love. Okay? We have been called to be little Christ. If we'll be little Christ, God will change the world. Now, He's called us to be His hands that heal. He's caused us to be His authority that casts out demons. He's called us to be His heart that sets captives free. If we want to reclaim biblical healing as individuals... And that's where it has to start. And then as a church, folks, we've got to follow the foundation He chose. See, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. I came to seek that which is lost. But if we're not the judge and the jury, we're the healers. That have been sent out into the world. And, and, and even better than that. We are the wounded healers. That have been sent out to find the other wounded. So that God can work through us to heal them. But we will never find them. If we don't take a step.
If we don't change our belief systems about who sends it, is it the will of God, why didn't this happen? Listen, I don't know why God doesn't heal everybody. I'm going to be concerned about the ones He is healing, okay? And He can sort out the whys and the whatevers, and you can ask Him when you get to heaven. I'm going to go after Him for what He promises, okay? It's progressive. He hadn't revealed everything to us. Folks, he's not appointed us to be the judge and the jury and the executioner. He's called us to be the nurses and the servants of the broken. We're going to become a house of healing. That's what we have to become. We have to get a concern in our heart. We have to be like Jesus. Jesus healed. Healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed everyone that came to Him. Not one did He turn away. So we're going to have to change the way we think and the way we act. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.